Kamenetsky Brothers Podcast, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. It is Thursday the 5th? Yes. 5th, 5th of October. Uh, we are, what, it's like two weeks almost, two we, weeks? We are one week away from the season opening. No, it's the 19th, I thought. Two weeks away from the season <laughs> opening. Um, so finally, I got a date right that Andy got wrong. That's very exciting. No, I got the date right. Happen. I got the math wrong. Yeah, well, two it's two now. weeks in a day or yeah. something. I don't know. But no, it's, it, it, is precisely, is it is precisely two weeks. I got that math right. At Canberra, <laughs> tweet us. <laughs> Let us know how far we are away from the beginning of the 2017-2018 season. Um, all right. So, uh, the Lakers have played three preseason games, Andy, and they're not good yet. Uh, they've lost all three. Uh, two of them, they've been fairly well hammered in the Denver Nuggets beat them up pretty good uh I don't know what do you think it's interesting I mean you and I uh co-host the post-game show along with Travis Rogers on ESPN LA and we've had to spend a lot of time assessing where the team is at you know based on what we've seen and a lot of the expectations and you know the 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 talk of Lonzo Ball instantly making everybody better and blah 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 I think in some ways we're not going to know what this team could look like until Brooke Lopez gets back. You know, he he is, I think, the best player on this team. You know, he's capable of scoring inside and outside. And that outside shooting in particular with Lopez, you know, assuming last season wasn't an outlier because it's the first time he's ever shot three. Yeah, but I mean, right. I, I'm just he saying. He had 80 games of it. And, and sure. so I think the sample size is big enough. I, I think it's a very big sample size. I'm saying it's just it's an outlier on his career. Right. But assuming that's, you know, that is something that carries over to this year and beyond, you know, he gives the team the spacing that they need but in particular he gives Julius Randall right Randall won't Randall can stay kind of low he can crash the boards he can play down in the post and I mean they'll have strength right he obviously won't Randall won't live down there because Lopez isn't going to be running around the three-point line a lot of his threes and I know this because I had him in fantasy last year and paid paid more attention to Brooklyn Nets basketball than any person should have you know, it's a lot of trailing threes. You know, he'll pop out and transition and stuff like that. But you're right; it, it'll definitely help. But I think you know, and the team needs it too. I mean, the, sure, this for a team that is, in theory, you know, in Luke Walton's perfect world, would be predicated. You know, their success would be predicated on a lot of shooting. They're not steeped in dead eye shoes. No, but, but again, but remember, though, Lopez is a thirty percent. This is one of the things that that has stuck out to me um, that. You know, you try to figure out, well, what is real after three preseason games and what is not real? What is real? The Lakers are going to be a bad perimeter shooting team. They just are. I mean, you look around and the three best guys they had from last year at doing that are gone. Um, Lou Williams, Nick Young, and D'Angelo Russell. Mm -hmm. They've been replaced. I mean, you want to throw in Tyler Ennis, but the guys who were there all year. Um, they've been replaced by KCP, who was career high last year, I think was 35. 30, 30, yeah, he just nudged into there. Uh, Lonzo, who has not shot the ball well nope. yet, and I think is going to struggle with his shot as the season begins. Um, Clarkson's down in the, you know, the low 30s, and Randall and Nance are trying to improve that, but they were in the high 20s last year. Kuzma maybe can shoot. Kuzma, and, maybe. And, yeah, if that sustains and himself. And Brooke Lopez will Brooke be Lewis a, about 35. Right. He's a good three-point shooter for a center, but if you compare him against the rest of the league, he's about average-ish. When your best three-point shooter is a 35% three-point shooter and you want to take a lot of threes, you're a bad three-point shooting yes. team. Agreed. So they are not going to be a good shooting team, which... Does I don't think that means, and some fans are going to say, "Well, stop taking them." I don't actually agree. This is this is the way they want to play. They want to get up and down the floor. They want to either get to the basket or they want to take threes in that sort of true analytic way. Um, and this is the way they want to do it. I think they should play the way they want to play because let's be honest, Andy. The other big takeaway here is. I think if you were one of these people who was saying, "Yeah, this these guys, you know, they you know, Lonzo blows up, and what about you know Ingram, you know, takes a massive leap or whatever it is, they could challenge for a play- no stop. They're not they're not going to challenge for a playoff spot, not in this Western Conference at least. So if that's the case, build your foundation, do things the way that you want to do them, 
so that when it matters, and this is something actually we're going to get into, some comments from Luke Walton that he made this week in practice that I think are really instructive for what kind of year this is going to be. When you get to where you want to be, you you don't have to change your style again. This team isn't worth necessarily adapting your philosophy to your personnel in really extreme ways. Just don't think they're going to be good enough. So play the way you well, want I mean, to play look, eventually. Ultimately, ultimately, they're adapting right now. They're they're scheme to Lonzo. I mean, it's really right. adapted around one guy, and which Lon- makes some sense. Well, it, look, it, it makes it makes sense if you think Lonzo is as good as the way they're talking about it, and Lonzo is most comfortable playing up and down, really quick, spreading the floor, finding open guys, the ball whipping around. I'm not saying he can't run pick and roll, um, although based on what we've seen, it is definitely not his strength. I mean, Luke Walton's talked about how they, they've installed almost nothing, right. if not actually nothing. And that's, by the way, that's another place right. where Lopez's return will make a difference sure. as a pick but, and roll like, weapon. I was gonna, well, I was just going to say half court in general. They haven't how, done anything. And it shows. Yes. I mean, this, this team has absolutely no idea what to do with itself when they're not running. They have no clue yeah. what to do. And and they'll get there and and you know, I think that's that's the the goal. But the other thing about it is too, it's like really, you know, there this is where that sort of strange nether place that they're in kind of sticks up. It's like, you know, well what philosophy are they building too? Ultimately if everything goes well, you're gonna change this whole thing again next year when LeBron and Paul George get here. You're going to run whatever scheme fits that after you're done with your free agency. So, you know, on the one hand, you know, I I do believe you should decide this is philosophically kind of how we want to play, the kind of style, the kind of ethic that we want to build and have guys do it that way, even if they're not that good at it yet, because most of the personnel aren't going to be that good at whatever you ask them to do. All of that with the full understanding that if everything goes well, it's all going to change and in in a year anyway i i would say you're probably right except you don't you don't want to run a system that in say in two months it's abundantly clear that 75 percent of this team can't do what you're asking them to do then i think at some point you're just wasting everybody's time sure at some point you have to adapt the way i mean for all the crap mike d'antoni took during his uh, during his first year with the lakers and you know the super team the second half he adapted to that team's Either strengths or just the way they wanted to play. Here, Kobe, you do what you want yeah, to do. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, they. That was pretty much if it. You, if you watch the second half of the season and you had no idea who was coaching the team and you were told guess, and not, you, no, not right. in a million no, years would you absolutely have said So, but so it's, I'm just saying, at some point, like, and I, I'm not predicting this will be the case for the Lakers. I'm just saying to to your earlier point. No, I understand. If if it becomes clear, like they don't do this well. Don't keep asking them to do well, it just I think for you, the sake of that. You don't ask them to keep doing it to the detriment of the players you have, if, 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 particularly if you think it's going to impede their development. Sure. but That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, but the the flip side, you know, if Jordan Clarkson can't quite handle it or whatever, that's fine. It kind of depends on which players you're talking about. If, you're, if you feel like you're damaging Ingram or Lonzo or Kuzma or Nance or whatever, to, you know, those guys maybe to a slightly lesser degree – Okay, if you're damaging KCP or Brook Lopez or well, you don't want to damage KCP too much because he's reporting directly to Rich Paul, he, and he is mana from heaven. I, I would say in a lot he of came, ways he was a gift from you God. You could make the argument actually that next to Lonzo, there's nobody more important to run a system that uh, plays to their strengths than KCP. They should, you know what they should do is just run the whole thing through him. I'm just saying. I mean, again, he is the pipeline to Rich Paul. You want to make sure he's happy. Treat him well. Yes. <laughs> Definitely treat yes. him well. Um, all right, Whether so he's going to be on this team next year or not. The other big thing, I mean, Lonzo didn't play Wednesday night in Ontario, which was disappointing. And he's looked okay through two games. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. He doesn't look terrible. And you get it. Like, you know, there are a couple plays in that first game where you just see the way he moves the ball. Again, particularly in transition, where you're like, oh, all right, I see it. And the vision is is obvious. The other stuff, you know, the defense – struggle the times um the shooting has not been good yet any surprise for you i have not been terribly surprised because i just never bought the idea that lonzo was going to just come in and revolutionize the league from day one as it's kind of been sold to us by management i i'm i am (laughs) i am a little bit surprised even taking into account rookies tend to struggle shooting I'm a little surprised Lonzo has struggled as much as he has only because he demonstrated the type of range at UCLA that in theory 
might be able to translate over as as opposed to guys yeah. who just struggle to shoot period but he is though about maybe two or three preseason games or maybe a month away from getting dropped by big baller brain in favor of Kyle Kuzma <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing um i'm not but the, the shooting is just going to take a while i think because you saw at UCLA i mean we, i think we touched a little bit on this uh last week the analytics on him are remarkable where he took, yeah. you know, he didn't take mid-range shots no. and he, you know, he, which is great. You know, he either finishes at the basket or he takes threes. And at UCLA, he was kind of famous for those really long deep. range, deep threes that kind of, you know, the quicker release for him, you know, they get up there. All of that gets harder at the NBA yeah, level. And, you know, there's an, it's going to be harder for him to get finish at the basket in the NBA than it was in summer league, harder in summer league than it was in college and it's just there it's going to take time because if he needed two extra feet to take those deep threes in college he's going to need two more extra feet yeah. at the pro level because they, they're bigger faster stronger close better all that stuff i just i don't i don't picture him being a plus outside shooter this year um and i don't even necessarily know if he's going to be one long term which won't matter a ton if you can put other guys around him it, i mean it is. It is. Well, I mean, he's got to be competent. I, well, I was going to say, if half of his offensive game was at the rim or from outside, if he doesn't connect from outside on a regular basis, that matters. He needs to be competent. He doesn't need to be Kyle Korver. Sure, that's what I'm. I would at. agree with that. Um, it, it just you know, and I think, and this is something I know we wanted to talk about. There's an element of. Lonzo mania that has been introduced by fans that has been introduced by LeVar and it has been introduced by management. And I don't so much worry about Lonzo crumbling under the pressure, but so much of the, the, the change in narrative that's been very successful around the Lakers this off season is also built around the ways that Lonzo is going to change this team. And, and Luke said something after Wednesday's game, um, that I thought was interesting when when asked about Lonzo and his leadership qualities. He's naturally a leader. He, the way he plays the game of basketball, everywhere he goes, if he went to the rec center, people would follow him because he makes people better, and that's what uh, that's what great leaders do. Um, now, there's other parts in this in this league that come with with leading. You know, you look at the great leaders. You know, Jason Kidd when he played, uh, Chris Paul, and, and you know they're constantly on their teammates about other things as well and adjustments in games and he'll get you know he'll get there and we'll encourage him to get there but he, he's you know as far as being a leader he already is a leader just by by playing the way he does and i understand what guys what they're getting at when they say he makes guys better he he allow he he puts them in position to play to their maximum capabilities i understand he doesn't you know you can't lonzo can't sprinkle fairy dust on somebody and just make them amazing but not only is Lonzo supposed to be eventually a transcendent player if you buy the Magic Johnson party line, when you keep repeating over and over again, he's going to make players better, he's going to make players better. If guys like Ingram and Nance, uh, Randall. Randall, those guys don't progress the way that you want, people are going to look at it. They're not going to necessarily blame Lonzo, but they're going to question whether or not some of this is true. And, you know, well, how much better does he really make guys? You know, some of the analytics show that maybe a couple guys are better when Lonzo's not on the floor. And I'm not, I don't know if any of this is going to happen, but it's all stuff that's out there that adds risk to the narrative that they're trying to create that if Lonzo doesn't turn into the kind of player that they want him to be, impacts the sales pitch next summer. That they've made him so integral to it that all of these little things matter. Look, I mean, Brian, I've said, I've said this. Basically, all off season and heading into the preseason, I have a lot of concerns about the you know potential for overpromising that can feel like under delivering. And they, even if he plays well, right? I talked about yeah. that. I, I mean, I, the last podcast actually, you and I talked about that. I think Lonzo has been set up for a lot of backlash. He is a prime backlash team, and frankly, the Lakers I think have set themselves up to be a prime backlash team. Because there's been a very obvious attitude on the part of the Lakers that they're projecting that next offseason, one or two you know, A-list free agents is a done deal. 
and you're starting to get well, back. Not even A list, the A right, of right. A guys the A in LeBron James. Right. You know, that's what all we're, we're still what we're talking about. And you start flirting with that Laker exceptionalism that rubs a lot of people wrong. But at least at the height of Laker exceptionalism, the team was good. I mean, you know, it's you can be obnoxious about your exceptionalism, but if you can back it up, there's only so much people can say. And right now, the Lakers are putting themselves in a position where they can be seen as all talk. And Lonzo is in a position right now where a really good season may end up seeming like a disappointment, in in part because mm-hmm. of the way he plays, but also because of externals that he can't. It depends. Yeah, I mean, it obviously depends. We, we're three games in the preseason. We don't sure. know. It depends on what kind of and how it but all would play out. Had for sure. A while. No, totally. And. You know, I, I and I don't think they've talked themselves up into a place where like they've got to win forty five games this year. But I, they no, but, but they've talked but themselves they, into they, a corner to a certain degree. Where they really to where have. they need to be better, you know, demonstrably better demonstrably this year better. than last year. I think thirty three or thirty four wins is demonstrably better. I mean, I mean, smart people around the NBA. Sure, I'm not talking about you know Twitter freaks, but I mean, you know, smart people around the NBA understand you go from twenty six, you know, seventeen to twenty six to 35 with massive amounts of cap space and promising young players, that's good. You're going in the right direction. They've got the new facility, which is spectacular and is going to be the kind of thing that helps them sell the franchise and sell that it's different and it's you know they're modern and, and all this other stuff. I fully expect them to continue you know, tweaking the front office, adding guys, making the scouting department bigger. I think you're going to see information like that come out throughout the year where – you know, we're beefing up the infrastructure, and I think that all that's going to be helpful too. Um, speaking, but though, what they can't do is twenty six. No, no. I mean, and speaking by the way of, of the hype surrounding Lonzo, the the NBA GM survey came out um, yesterday, I right? Believe it was, and Lonzo in, in the rookie and international player section. It was interesting. Sixty two percent of GMs predicted that Lonzo would win Rookie of the Year. The next closest was Ben Simmons right. at, at 24%. It's easy to forget that he's a rookie. But the rookie that will be the best player in five years, GMs were asked about, was actually Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson Phoenix, and then uh, Fultz, Fultz and, and then Tatum. Tatum. In a tie. Over both Simmons and Lonzo, right, which tied for four right. with fourteen percent, which I th- I thought was injured. I have no idea if they're right. I mean, I you and I never pretend to be scouting experts. I have not seen these people play nearly enough to have any opinion. But it is fascinating that like you know the two guys that are most hyped coming into this year, they don't think are going to be the best players. Well, it's also interesting too because Ben Simmons last year took the which rookie will be the best player in five years by 70%. But it was and also considered a terrible it was, class. It was considered a terrible class, but it, but but it doesn't change the fact that he fell 56% the following year. Yeah, that has And yeah. that, I mean that look, that could be related to injury concerns, that could be related to, you know, people thinking Josh Jackson or Fultz or whoever are going the to be knees. really good. Yeah. But it's just interesting the way that tide can shift and it also can be it could be indicative of some execs around the league recognizing the hype around Lonzo, creating a narrative that, of course, he's going to end up winning Rookie of the Year. But once we get past that rookie season... Other guys could pass. Exactly. I, that may be it, and it just may be guys like Jackson Moore, and they th- you know, whatever it might be. But the other part about it is just the Rookie of the Year race because uh, Wednesday night, the Sixers opened their preseason schedule. Ben Simmons played something like 20 minutes, and he had you know two of eight from the floor, nine points, uh, seven rebounds, nine assists. It is a line that looks remarkably like the kind line. of things that Lonzo is going to be doing. Line. And so you have two guys, you know, I guess Lonzo is supposed to be a little bit better of an outside shooter than Simmons. Simmons is bigger. Simmons is not considered a shooter Right. At all. Simmons is bigger, though, and he's, you know, a weirder, you know, he's that sort of more unicorny, I think people say, than, than Lonzo Yeah, he can either be ways. their starting point guard or their starting power forward. Right. He'd pick. <laughs> um, and so they're going to play him like a point guard, and he's much bigger than that normally. Whatever their their stat lines this year, I think are going to be pretty you know, relatively low shooting percentages. Guys who pile up a lot of rebounds, who pile up a fair amount of assists, good fantasy guys, and do things, yeah, but do things also too that end up on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know the the amount of Ben Simmons if he's healthy, both of them are healthy, I should say, because they're questions about both. If both of these guys stay healthy, the amount of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid doing stuff. 
clips that end up sent around on NBA Twitter is going to be staggering. Yeah, you know, and so that's going to be a thing. Meanwhile, Lonzo is going to have a play or two every game that's going to be spread around social media. Passing doesn't slump, and he just looks cool when he does stuff. I mean, he carries himself in a way that makes you want to watch him, and 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 just does cool things. So there's the buzz. If if everything goes according to plan for both teams, and let's just say it does, and both of us think Lonzo is going to be good, it's going to be. This could be one of the most unique rookie of the year races of all time because you're talking about two guys who almost do kind of the same thing on teams that are kind of doing the same thing, young, up-and-coming squads. You know, Philly was in the West. Nobody would be talking about him making the playoffs. Um, and it's it may just come down to which team wins more games. Well, it could. And, but, and, and you know, who, who seems like they've elevated their group more. See, it's going to be interesting, though, because, I mean, you're right that the wins could be the thing that breaks the tie, but the flip side could be M- if Embiid is a monster and can play 82 games – he could end up can or you know sixty five about sixty games. I'll, I'll, yeah, sixty five games. There's an Embiid guy sure. on my team. I'll take sixty five. Sixty five games. Embiid may end up canceling out Simmons for Rookie of the Year yeah, because I've, he's going to end I've up heard getting that a argument. lot of credit. You know, I've heard and, that. and there's also you know they they brought in JJ Redick. You know they they've they've got guys. Yeah, Covington. They, they, they're they're better Covington, team. They're better uh, team than Lakers. Sarich. I mean they they've got more made guys on that team, even young made guys. Than the Lakers, yeah, have. sure. I mean, you know, Joe, it could. No, it could. It's but just going to be interesting to see all the, things being all equal. This is narrative if the, anyway. Sure, all, if the numbers and and but that's such a buzzy team, yeah. Particularly for basketball writers, like basketball geeks and well, writers and whatever. Everybody love the Sixers. Well, we all want them to do well because we all trust say, the process. Well, it, they're a fun team to root for. Right. Every you know, uh, Sam Hinkie has become like the the basketball equivalent of a political prisoner. I mean, like everybody now, everybody now wants the Sixers to succeed because they want Hinky to end up being redeemed. Yeah, you know? totally. And, and they're they're sort of a sentimental, trendy pick, you know, especially again among basketball geeks. And where that, you know, how that well, narrative and, lands on Simmons for this particular award is going to be interesting. And and this and the East is such trash that you can. Oh, you want a good team you, in the East? Yeah, you, know, you go through the the you know the the top fours on some of these you know in the Eastern Conference, and by the time you get to the fourth team in the East, it's like, I mean, the fourth team in the West is it San Antonio? Is it Oklahoma City? Is it Houston? I mean, you could make an argument. Two through four for any of those teams. Put them in whatever order you want and debate. But they're it. all good. Probably teams. they're all good teams. I, for me, it's probably San Antonio. But that says something. San Antonio is really good. The fifth team in this, you know, I think most people have, and it certainly uh, bared out in the in the GM survey was Minnesota. Minnesota is better than Toronto. Minnesota is yeah. probably better than Washington, or at least pretty close. Um, you know, could take them a while to gel, but you know. You know, Portland's a good team. They were great after they got Nurkic last Denver year. Denver could be a good Denver, team. Denver, I am I am I would be surprised if Denver does not make the I playoffs. I think Utah's still gonna Utah's be Utah's gonna you know, be the competitive. The Clippers are moving in the wrong direction. But, but they're, they're still a good if the team. Clippers are healthy, they're gonna win forty five games, yeah. forty seven. They're because their depth is good enough and they've got good enough players, they'll win. The healthy part could trash them. Even like Memphis looks like bad Memphis, on paper. Memphis but they're always good. Memphis is going to be bad. I I'll think so. Right now. I think so. I'll say but I have, Chandler, I, Chandler Parsons, if, if you got 30 games out of him. But they still have Conley and Gasol. And those and guys are starting to get more dinged up. They're starting to get older. There, there's no doubt. De- that team's going to be trash. I will say that now. Trash by bad. former good team standards. Yeah. And they're just, they're moving in the wrong Not direction. Not trash by, we're the Lakers have been for the last. No, no, years. I just I, I think they're not going to. I think I picture not Memphis good. as like a ten or eleven seed. Yeah, possible. But Denver's going to be Denver. Trash may have been too strong, but compared to what Memphis has been, fine. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be hot. I know. I, I know. I understand. Um, but you no, know, so saying, saying Golden State will be trash. That's a hot take, right? Um, saying Memphis is trash <laughs> is probably just overstating it. It's not a hot. A little take. hyperbolic, but it's just the wrong yeah, Philly. Word. There's no reason Philly can't get into the playoffs. In the if, if, if Los Angeles was on the East Coast instead of the West Coast with the same team, I'm not saying they would. I'm saying you could at least the fantasies of playoff contention would be more realistic because. Who is the eighth best team in the Eastern Conference? 
Don't say like Charlotte's probably like I, the I sixth. That's I don't, what, they're I don't all to terrible. Think, I don't want to have to think about eight Eastern Conference teams. Right, I don't know the answer. That's a great answer to that question. <laughs> I don't want to have to. I don't want to have to think about there, it. There there are five teams in the East worth thinking about at all. Yes, there are five. It's Cleveland. Boston, Boston, Washington, Toronto, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Those are the only five teams even worth thinking about. Correct. May, maybe Brooklyn, if you're just curious as a Laker fan, how D'Angelo does. Yeah. That's it. He had 19-4 and four with yeah. a couple steals. Right? Any, just, any potential for sell? I, I, we were going to talk about this last night on the, on the postgame show. We didn't get to it. Any potential for seller's remorse, do you think? Um, it, it, how, what Do you think there's ever – I'll put it to I'll, – I'll do it this way. Better quest, Better way of phrasing it. At any point, trash. At any point, <laughs> trashier Memphis or D'Angelo Russell. At any point during the season, do you anticipate fifty percent of Lakers fans wishing D'Angelo Russell were back on the Lakers? This particular season, yes. Long term, not necessarily. This particular season, because as much as I think, as much as I think, Lon, and this is something you and I talked about actually right after the trade happened. As much as I think Lonzo is better capable than D'Angelo of making other players around him better. No question. D'Angelo was the one recent Laker most capable of making Lonzo better. It was when you get stuck in a half-court offense. Yeah. And he, he's, he makes his own was shot. Most he can capable, bail you out. Most yeah. capable of helping Lonzo. I agree. Um, I mean, there are, there are a lot of reasons that the two of them, I think on the court, if they had, say, no egos, no brains, no backstory – but just had them play to their strengths, they could complement each other really well. There are a lot of external dynamics that I think a ultimately <laughs> would have made this not work. You know, in particular, Lonzo being announced as the face from the moment he arrives. But see, I, and not to, I, I, I think that actually could have helped D'Angelo. But the flip side to that question I'm is the sure. flip side. The, the, the question I asked about fifty point one or whatever of Lakers fans kind of wishing that D'Angelo was back. Do you think fifty point one would admit it? Depends on how the team's doing. They can say whatever they want on Twitter. Nobody's going to back check it. I don't know. I just I feel like people. I don't know. I, there was a lot of D'Angelo hate last year. There was not but, much D'Angelo and, support, and, and and people are always meaner on Twitter than they are nicer. And also, too, people. But even all, keeping that in mind. But you know, think about how think about how often Laker fans jumped off and on the Pau Gasol bandwagon. <laughs> the true. minute he was out the door, they all loved him. They love the pal. Sports do tend to work in a very similar way to the way mom used to talk about the dog. Yeah. Um, after Chip died, our dog, our dog, up. Chip, um, it was a bad uh, case. This dog, this dog, right, right, I'll, I'll get to it, but like after the dog died, oh, I just miss, I want to get out. He was such a good dog. I loved him so much. And then, while the dog was alive, we have to get rid of the dog. We, because the dog, the dog got struck by lightning. Not, not, Literally, not directly. not directly struck by lightning. The dog was not walking around outside and survived a lightning strike. Um, but the house got hit, and, and Chip's favorite place to sit was right over the, the air grate. And so when that happened, not only did it make a really big sound, I think it zapped him a little yes. bit. Yes, it and did. so he became uh, skittish. And this dog was squirrely to begin yes, with. Yes, he was. And kind of a pain in the ass. Kind of, yes. We, we loved him. Great dog. Wonderful dog. Very sweet. A high-maintenance dog yes. <laughs> on, on its best day. Stupid. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. And he was – Chip was the the rule, the exception that proved the rule about Golden Retrievers being smart. Yeah. He was a very dumb dog. And mom mom used to very justifiably threaten to get rid of this dog once or twice a week. Yes. When we were growing up. Every totally. time it rained, somebody had to run home and put the dog <laughs> in, like, crate. in the crate because the dog would pee everywhere. Right. But – can't after, have that. After Chip left us, she loved that oh, dog. What and a wonderful I dog. think you know Laker fans did that with Pow, and it wouldn't shock me if D'Angelo plays well and the Lakers start out slow. I think you're using some pining. Possibly, for him. even if D'Angelo does have a tendency to pee around the house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one la one last thing um, before we move on to some other stuff. Uh, one last Lakers thing. Luke said Luke was asked about you know. You talked about the half-court offense and how they By don't the way, have one uh, yet. Real quick, GMs sure. love Kyle Kuzma. They do. They love Kyle Kuzma. They do love he, Kyle Kuzma. There's a, there's a lot more to the GMs. So we can, maybe we'll talk more about it, but there are some other just things. Real, in the GMs just survey. real quick, they, he came in uh, second for biggest steal in the draft at 22%. Josh Hart actually got a vote, yeah. too, and it's easy to forget about him because he's been injured for most of summer league and that, but a lot of people at the time 
thought he was a steal. Also, KCP popped up a couple times. Uh, he got some votes for breakout season. Also got um, some votes for most underrated player acquisition. So there are a lot of people either really high. How did KCP get? He was a oh KCP. KCP. I, 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 saw Car- I was thinking KAT. Right. So Carl uh, Anthony Towns. KCP. Uh, a lot of I guess a lot of GMs either think that he's going to have a you know that he's been a sneaky good player for a while and you're going to notice it on this stage. Or, like I said earlier, the Lakers are just going to let him run wild yes. because, again, he reports directly to Rich Paul. <laughs> Send your good reports to LeBron. Um, KCP so eats first. Luke was asked about you know whether or not he's nervous you know that they haven't gotten all their stuff installed. I had actually asked him about uh, practice, like because the preseason's shorter, but because of the schedule, they'll actually have more practice days this year than they've had in in years past. Um, and I'm just curious, like I was curious. Do you not worry as much about having stuff installed because you know you'll have time to practice? And Luke's answer got into a lot of big picture stuff, which I think if you're looking for an explanation of how they're treating this season, will explain a lot. When we're ready to get to the next phase of what we're trying to do, we'll get to it. Whether that's in training camp or the regular season, uh, you know, the, the, the time we're not we're not putting. We're not putting pressure on the actual timeline of when something gets accomplished. We're just going to keep chipping away at what we're trying to do. Luke, along those those same lines, are you in the process? Are you behind where you thought you should be or just to? No, not at all. I I think uh, we're we're fine where we're at. guys are are, are are really buying into to what we're teaching and we're just drilling it away uh, you know to me at this level in, until you really understand something if you have to think about something whether it's a rotation a play where you're supposed to be you're too late this level this this NBA is too quick it's too skilled um, you got to be able to just you know make that decision in an instant and until we get to that point, to me, it's just not worth moving on. So I think. All right. So the subtext of that, and it's not even really subtext, is everyone's excited about this year. Everyone has you know big ideas of what this team could become and what Lonzo is going to do and all that. This is a teaching year, and they at least the way Luke's talking is we understand that this is the first year of you know, however many this plan is or whatever, where and we need to get guys learning the correct way. And it doesn't matter if it takes three weeks longer to get to something better so we can maybe be more effective in games. We're not going to skip steps in how we teach these guys and build them up because to do so ultimately will hurt them in the long run. And maybe it's just because I'm a former teacher. I loved this answer. It's, you know... They're going to just keep it. People have been complaining on Twitter that their defense is too simple, that some of their offensive stuff is too simple. Well, they're not doing the simple stuff right yet. And you can't do more complex things until you understand the basics. And they have to get really good at this, and then they'll move on to the next stuff. And if it takes until March, I don't care. I think it'll serve them better in the long run. I don't disagree with you. Where I do think this is going to give some people around this team, fans, media, whatever, some pause in the way that Luke's breaking this down, is if, say, in a few months, you can sense that they're still doing the simple stuff on both sides of the ball and they're not really getting better, then, I mean, forget the wins and losses and the progress. You do start to question, okay, is is Luke capable of communicating the simple stuff? Because that's la- one. That's one interpretation. Because last, and and I, I say this because this is something that I've seen some people who cover the team question about Luke. Because last year, I I would presume since the team was even younger, they were doing a lot of the simple stuff as well. And the playbook was a pop up book last right. year. And, and at the risk of sounding negative, I don't think it took. <laughs> <laughs> so if this year with with the younger guys still being relatively more experienced. They've got in, you know, they brought in a couple veterans who know how to play a little better. And, you know, Lonzo apparently can reinvent basketball. If they still aren't seeming to get it, then it's it becomes more than just a question about how they're developing. You start wondering, okay, okay that's is fine. Luke experienced enough as a coach? Or good enough or, or good, good enough, enough or whatever. To break that's, down the but that's fine. Stuff. I mean, eventually the people are going to start asking questions of Walton. And I don't think he 
minds that. And no, I, I'm not saying he minds it. I'm just saying it's it's, it's going to happen. But it's something that doesn't get talked about a lot because I think in a lot of ways Luke arrived with a golden pass. Possibly, but I also think too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking to bash, but there's, Walton. but there's also, point. but there, I think the other, the flip side of it is, it, it is an indication that you might need different, some different players. Could be, it could um, be it, that some it, of you. There could be both. Right, it could be both. Um, I'm just saying it's a dynamic. No, it'll, it, it does. It does. Oh, if they're if they're stuck in the low twenties, people are going to question Luke Walton. I don't think there's any question, and I think that that's fine. I think it's right. expected and reasonable. Um, they'll also question some of the players. Uh, they might question Rob Palinka. They they're questioning all of it, Andy. People are going to be upset because yeah. it, it, if they win twenty two games this year, the summer plans I mean, for next year. God, that's backwards. Right, it's backwards. I mean, twenty five, whatever it is. But if they don't show some improvement, that is going to really make next summer a tougher sell. Yeah, particularly if OKC performs. Right. Well. What am I coming to again? You know, I could stay here. We were a second. You talk about OKC. We were a second seed, third seed. I'm telling you, I. I remain convinced that if if the Thunder are good, and we know now that Russ is going to be sticking around, and most people expect that Melo is going to opt into the final year of his deal, right? Unless I think I think the the idea is if both of them left, Melo would sure, opt out. Obviously, I mean Melo is not going to stay in OKC <laughs> by, by himself. But but if they do well. And Paul George knows that two out of those three guys are going to be there at least one more season. It's and they have Stephen Adams under control and all it's that. It's going to be hard to walk away. I'm not saying George wouldn't do it, but I'm saying that becomes a legit decision, especially if what you're walking away to That's is like one. a 27-win team. That's the big one. Um, so let's see here. I agree. Uh, so they just they need to get better. And I, I'm excited about this year. But I also just, you know, there is a bit of brake pumping. And it's, it's the beginning of the season. People are excited. It's a new Lakers right. era. It's fun. It's fun. This is the time to be excited. I think this season is going to be entertaining. I'm I don't, looking forward to I it. don't think people should be any more freaked out by losing three in a row in the preseason than they should by, if the Lakers had won three in a row, by changing the the, the outlook to seven seed. Um I, in some ways, it's probably helpful that they showed a little bit of, of what they're up against early, just to remind people. Yeah, um, that it's it's not very easy. Do you want to do you want to touch on the All Star format reform or, or move on to the next thing? I just think it's about. I, I'm just happy to see that the NBA has finally been listening to us. We've been calling for this for a while. Yeah, I mean they got most of the way there. They can see if you miss the news, basically they're going to take it's still 12, 12 guys yes. per side. Um, but they're going to pick teams, and that better be on TV. Oh, I'm sure. It will if be. it's not on TV, this there's, whole thing is there's stupid. There's no point to doing it if it's not on right. Because then, like, if if it's well, we don't want to see anyone get their feelings hurt. No, that's the whole point. Right. You want to see somebody be picked last. The one area they they still got it wrong is that it has to be 12 guys from the East, 12 Correct. guys from the West. It just needs to be the best 24 guys. Right, exactly. And if it's four guys from the East, you know what? It's going to be the four guys from the East that people want to see. And in the meantime, you're going to be leaving out people from the West. That are going to be want to be seen more than the other eight. Because you can make a very solid argument that there will be a Western Conference All Star team. You can make a Western Conference All Star team that doesn't make the All Star team that's better than yes. the Eastern Conference All Star team. Absolutely. So that's where they got it wrong. Yeah, I agree. But baby steps. I mean, oh, they, yeah. they could move there, and it's not like baseball where, like, they you know for some reason they have you know they, there's no tradition in the Eastern Conference of somebody from every team where Thank you know. God. Right, I agree with you. I mean, it's stupid in baseball, but it's kind of baked in. Where I remember, I do remember when I was little in baseball, being excited like that there was a cardinal in the game. In an NBA family, you know, growing up, you don't have that unless you grow up in LA when there were always two or three Lakers. But you know, if you're from Indiana, you know, when Reggie Miller was gone, well, there went all our, our all stars. Paul George there don't have Paul George. Might not have an all-star this year, although Miles Turner probably make the team this year because, like we said, there are eight good players in the Eastern well, Conference. Well, you know what? My, my advice to any Pacers fan that doesn't see an all-star in this year's game, move. Yeah, I agree. Just relocate. Right. I mean, I mean if it's that important, you relocate to the Bay If you area. live in New York. Yeah. I mean, Porzingis might make it. I think Porzingis will make it. He might. It's funny, like, all of, just to go back to the GM survey for a second, all the breakout players – are the next-in-line guys, aside from Carl Anthony Towns, were the next-in-line guys who were abandoned by the star. Yeah. So Carmelo is gone, so now Carl Anthony Towns gets a bunch of – uh, Porzingis gets a bunch of votes. Uh, Turner got a bunch of votes out of Indiana because George is gone and so on. 
Uh, moving on to the the other stuff that we wanted to get into today. Uh, really sad news earlier in the week. Um, obviously overshadowed somewhat by the catastrophically sad news out of Las Vegas was the death of Tom Petty. Yeah. Um, which came out of nowhere. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he said he had, cardiac arrest. Yeah, I mean, but was not, he, he wasn't sick. No, he he had performed a concert at the Hollywood Bowl a week before. Ten, ten days. Um, I mean, it really came out of nowhere, and the 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 reporting of Tom Petty's death was in and of itself strange. Yeah, he he died twice, I guess, sort of publicly. Yeah, um, he was he was. The news came out that he had cardiac arrest. Then the news came out that he was dead. And then wait, he's not dead yet, but he. He's apparently somebody from to... apparently somebody from the LAPD um informed someone from CBS News that they had gotten word that he had died and then it turned out that he was on life support clinging to life and you could see where this they was going to go off. right but but he hadn't died the, the news from all this I mean or the lesson from all this by the way was if you're going to if you're going to try to outscoop TMZ you know, if if I may, you know, quote the wire: "If you come at the king, you best not miss." Yeah, don't try to outscoop TMZ. That. So, like, it's the equivalent of trying to outscoop like Woj or Shams. Like, you better have your ducks in a row because you're likely going to lose. And we we've lost a lot of 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 really good artists from that era, from a little earlier. You know, yeah. David Bowie last year. We lost Prince. You know, obviously a, an icon of the '80s and into the '90s. Petty's a little different, at least, at least to me. Petty's different because I don't think there's anybody who was like my favorite. the The album that broke Petty out was it was came out in '79. I have to look it up, but I think his big break was either '77 or '79. I got uh, there's Dan the Torpedoes. Dan the Torpedoes was '78 or '79. Pull up his discography, but it was somewhere in there. Like he became a, a thing, right? Yes, in the, in the late seventies. Yeah, my favorite Petty album, "Damn the Torpedoes," was seventy nine. Okay, you are correct, and that was that was like the big breakout. Yeah, that one. that had uh, "Don't Do Me Like That" on it. I think it had "Refugee" on right. it. Right. My favorite Petty Breakdown. album is is "Wildflowers." Mine too, and that was ninety four. Yes, it was, and it is really unusual. To have a guy, and one of my one of my next favorite Petty albums is uh, with, with or without the Heartbreakers is Echo, which Echo's was after really that was I think ninety seven. I actually I think Echo's ninety Echo's ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay, so you're talking about a guy who was producing amazing work for twenty five years, thirty years stuff. I mean, because I, I even after he died, I even downloaded a couple of the new albums you know the last five or six years that i hadn't listened to and they're pretty good um they're not they're not like transcendent but they're pretty good they're better they are better than new rolling stones yeah. albums i was gonna say put the, it that way the, the consistency of tom petty in his career is one of the most remarkable it's one of the most remarkable achievements I've seen in any major artist in yeah. rock or, he made, rock or pop music. He made music. excellent albums in the seventies. He made excellent albums in the eighties. You know, Full Moon Fever and all that stuff. That, you know, when Petty kind of for people my age, yeah, Southern accents, yeah, Southern accents and all that. And then he made amazing albums in the nineties, and that is so unusual. There was no real drop off or fall off for Petty, which is part. I mean. He's the he is the only major artist I can think of who arguably got better as he went along. And, and that that's exceptional. And what's rare. what's amazing about it too to me is that he never he never changed significantly in terms of style. No. I mean the the the, the great outlier and there's a I read a great article in the Atlantic about it uh, about the you know the making of it and how it came about. I mean the, the only song that you can point to that's a, a a petty hit that you look at and go, well, that one's really different. Is uh, don't come around here. No yeah, more. it's very different. I mean, it's a weird song. Yeah, like the production, the production is, is weird. Amazing. When they recorded it, they were like, yeah. what? It was on Southern accents. It doesn't fit. Like it's, that's not a Southern sounding song. There's no accent. Um, but they, you know, every other song. It's like there's a through line for all the stuff that happens in the seventies, in Refugee and American Girl and all that that goes through the stuff that's great into the two thousands. You yeah. know it's the same guy. You know it's the same band. And yet it doesn't get stale. It doesn't get recycled. And the, I don't know how you do that. I and I don't and and, and do you, I, the, the the Stones couldn't do it and 
you know, even Prince, who was remarkable, whether you want to say it was volume that held, you know, was problematic for him and, you know, lack of self-editing and Petty was notoriously meticulous yes. about production, yes, about was. what would go on the album and who was going to be and, and stuff like that. Whatever it was, I don't think there's anybody else who sustained it in the way he did without re, like three or four reinventions. I, I was thinking about that. And the guy that the guy that came closest to me was maybe Prince if he had spaced out his his catalog the way most artists do it. Like you he know, wasn't he, trying to put a middle right. finger up to Warner Brothers. Well, but, but even before that, I mean, I'm talking about from 77 to 90, Prince put out. I believe I think it's twelve, something like twelve or thirteen albums from seventy-seven to ninety. It was basically it was an album every single year except nineteen eighty-three, which presumably he was too busy uh, filming Purple Rain, right? And he'd also just done a double album with ninety-nine, so even Prince was like, <laughs> "All right, I can take a small break." Prince put out an album every single year, I think, between those, maybe two years of a gap, two years had a gap, and that's it. If those had been spaced out, you know, every two to three years, the way most recording artists do it. You know, it's impossible to prove a negative because you don't know, you know, what space of mind Prince would have been in. But if you just line up those albums so they're 26 years as opposed to 13, you basically cover the same ground as Petty and you basically have that type of remarkable consistency. But other than that, I can't think of any. Like, right. me, and I'm not, like, I'm not saying, I mean, Prince was a more inventive oh, musician. I'm, I'm not saying Prince, more talented. Petty is better than Prince. No, no, that's, but, but the consistency. Like, Neil Young had an amazing longevity, but unlike what you were talking about, Neil Young, A, reinvented himself constantly. Yes. But also with those reinventions, you had a lot of wild highs and a lot of wild lows. I mean, you look back at, like, some of the shocking pink stuff, and it's like, good God, man, what were you doing? He's like, trying stuff. <laughs> like, no, and look, I, I commend him for trying, but Neil Young never had the same sustained success decade to decade and also the same commercial success like the idea that Tom Petty was Tom able Petty. to move albums the way he did 25 years into a career is amazing. If Prince is Kobe or Jordan or whatever, Petty is Tim Duncan. Yes, that's a great way of putting it, actually. You know, I mean, really it's just, it was the same it. damn thing the whole time, more or less. And it was always excellent. Well, you know, I, I was thinking about with Petty... And, and I, I don't know as much about Petty personally as I do some other musicians that I really like. But he always struck me as somebody extremely comfortable in his own skin. Oh, yeah. And yeah. because of that comfort, I think Petty was content is the wrong word, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying. I think he was content to stay in a box but push up to the absolute limits well, of that box. You know what you are. Yeah. You know what you're not. And I also think, and I this is me reading. Like you said, I, I don't, I never. It's not like I ever met the guy. I didn't hang out with him. I've read some about him, but not extensively. Like other, I feel like there was a a, a certain lack of ego in some Definitely. ways, at least with the music. Definitely. Um, that and that and it's the ego I think that pushes people to try to do things that they shouldn't be. But Petty doing. just seemed like he seemed like just a dude. Yeah. Like Tom Petty, real. I mean, we, you know, we'd by the way too. I mean, if Laker fans aren't aware, big Laker fan. Yeah. He was at games all the time. I, it's my understanding he actually got into the Lakers through Jack Nicholson. Like, he started taking Nicholson's seats when Nicholson wasn't there. And, you know, we saw him there Which, all the way, time. By the way, there's been a lot lately. Yeah. <laughs> if, you ever, I mean, if you have a line to Jack, there'll be more games, I think, this year with Lonzo. But um, the last few years have been good for getting Jack's seat. Um, the other thing, too, I mean, we, we were talking about Prince earlier. Prince came to mind to me when I, when I was thinking about Petty and – and, you know, you and I are both huge Prince fans. But he reminded me of Petty in two ways. First of all, Tom Petty, like Prince, never stopped being cool. Mm -hmm. Like Prince was, even when Prince wasn't really moving albums cool. at all. He was still cool. He was still cool. Like Prince was this mythology. And Tom Petty has always been cool. Like, I agree. You know, musicians two generations removed from him thought he was cool. You know, like Eddie Vedder and the grunge guys, you know, they all thought he was cool. But also, too, like Prince, I've never ever heard anybody say, I don't like Tom Petty. No, nobody dislikes Tom Petty. Like, you might not be a fanatic. No, but like, nobody, you know, but like, like, there are certain concerts. Like, I'm not a huge Bruno Mars fan. Like, I don't listen to, but I go to a Bruno Mars concert. Sure. Um, you know, I, I've never heard anybody would say, like, 
I don't want to go to a Petty concert. Like, you don't have to be a big fan. You know it's going to be a good show. So yeah. go. Um, yeah, so very very sad news. And like a lot of people, I've been listening to a ton of Petty. I also, uh, speaking of listening, I was going to recommend a couple uh, podcasts for Petty oh, fans. Oh, sure. Yeah, please. Uh, Stephen Hyden, who we've had on the show before, a great uh, music writer on the Celebration Rock podcast, did a great show um, talking about Petty and his legacy. And also the from the Ringer Network, the Channel 33 podcast with Chris Ryan, Sean Fennessy, and Ron Harvilla. A really good discussion about Petty as well. Just so many great songs. Also, I want to recommend to people, because I just went down this rabbit hole accidentally about a month and a half ago and landed on, I think it's an 89 his performance at the MTV Music Awards of Free Fallen, and he and Axel performs it with him. Huh. And it was this, and first of all, it was this sense memory experience for right. me because I remembered it in high school sure. and everybody freaking out. But it's it also you you spoke too about the lack of ego. You see Petty's generosity on stage because he kind of lets Axel upstage him. And I don't even think Axel's being yeah, but he comes from a that. D-bag about it. This I think is something it's just we learned from the uh, the the uh, Jimmy Iovine doc. Yes, like he comes from that era where like everybody showed up on everybody's yes. albums. Yes, and, like, he got "Don't Come Around Here No More" from Stevie Nicks, and it was like there all these things are going on. Um, you know, we had the the Yacht Rock guys on, and like it's the it's the 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 Michael McDonald skit from uh uh. The, the Canadian, Canadian show, SCTV, where he just runs in, goes and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I mean, the, all these guys did that for each other. So um, that might be from that. Uh, we do this every year. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations are out, and we go through this, and it's just a gut reaction. Each person on the list, do they get in or do they not? We treat it like we would any other Hall of Fame. Where I think if your initial instinct is yes, that's a Hall of Famer, and if no. All right, uh, we'll just start at the top. The nominees for induction in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018 are Bon Jovi. I know I what you're guess. Yes, I you guess. know the answer is yes. You don't have to like them, but come on, Andy, just for their influence no, on karaoke. I know, I know. Plus, our wives would kill us. If we <laughs> right, I mean, no. you know, it's karaoke. Kate Bush. I like Kate Bush. She doesn't feel like a Hall of Famer. I, know, I, I like her. I have no She's problem. Talented. I got no problem with Kate Bush. I don't need Kate Bush in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, if they let her in, I wouldn't care. No. I don't object. No. I mean, what would Kate Bush ever do to you? Exactly. Uh, the Cars. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I agree with One you. One of the great bands, uh, New Wave era in the early '80s, fantastic. Depeche Mode. I don't particularly like them, but they should be in. Pretend you're George Sedano. De- Depeche Mode loves George loves Depeche Mode. Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah, he is. Uh, I agree. I think they very influential. Yeah, I, I again, they're not my cup of tea. They should be in. I agree. Dire Straits. They don't feel Hall of Fame to me. I, I like them. Like, bluesy rock and roll guys kind of like them, and they, they had... But, like, other than... Can you name five Dire Straits songs? I could, but... <laughs> and that's me? Can you name six? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I can name five. Unless I'm allowed to do the, the uh, I Want My MTV song. No, that counts. Three times. Uh, and then the other one. They're that, a good band. People, they don't I, feel Hall of Fame. Uh, the Eurythmics. I'm tempted to say yes. They they feel influential enough, but I I wonder if they were they had a long enough career. That is the correct answer. No, because of longevity. Uh, the Jay Giles band. No, I like them. <laughs> I like them, but no, just a little little too um, frivolous <laughs> is, a, is a good word for it. Judas Priest. I don't even know if I can answer it. I mean, I I know they were big in metal. Like, <laughs> let me answer that question. I kind of want to say Judas yes, just Priest does not belong I in the rock and roll. I kind of want to see Rob Halford's speech. Judas <laughs> so Priest. Okay, want to see it? All right. You know what? Give them. He a, lived. How about this? Rob Halford. Yes, he lived. did. How about a special exhibit? <laughs> <laughs> like they're not in, but right. we have a, a traveling exhibit for. Yes. Okay. okay. Uh, LL Cool Absolutely, J. his first ballot. I agree. Uh, MC5. Even though he's technically not first ballot because he's been on another right. ballot. MC5, they've got the influence. I, I, I don't know enough. I wonder about if them. enough of the voters actually know who they are. Yeah, I, I, they were I, really. I'm going to have to punt on this one. Okay. I just don't know enough. The meters, absolutely. They basically created a form of music. Yes, the meters are amazing. This is an interesting one. <laughs> Moody Blues. No, <laughs> no, well, not unless you're him, going for you know. I'm going to give them a different comedy. sound. Shame. <laughs> no. Shame. 
The Moody Blues, of course, are responsible for my least proud musical moment where yes. there was about a week and a half where I uh, decided the Moody Blues were really good and I needed to buy some of their albums. And I bought, bought them, like, like, three, I bought, like <laughs> four CDs in a week. And then, like, a week later, this is stupid. Um, it's just that guy lecturing you throughout all those songs. Uh, Radiohead, Absolutely. obviously. Absolutely. They're, this is their first year yes, of eligibility. So first they, year of eligibility. You can't have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame without a Radiohead in it if they're eligible. Rage Against the Machine. Were they prolific enough? I, li- I like Rage. I, they're good. They're, and they're, infl- they're not my cup of tea, but they're obviously very good. I, the prolific thing, I'm going to give go ahead and give them that. But if somebody wrote me in and said they just didn't do enough, I'd, I'd be happy to take yeah, it Yeah, I mean, I, I'd have no problem with them getting in. Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. I feel like they should be in. I, I really do. I feel like they should. They they were quite influential. What about and, just Rufus by themselves without Shaka Khan? You gotta have, if you're going to have one, you got to have the other. I'll, I will defer to you. Uh, Nina Simone, obviously. Well, yes, the poor woman suffered enough. Yes. <laughs> Let her in. I mean, the only argument you can make against Nina Simone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that she's not rock and roll. Right. Uh, that, I guess that is, that is, I guess, technically the strongest argument. By the way, too, if you've never seen it, the documentary What Happened, Miss Simone. It's amazing. Phenomenal. Um. But yeah, I mean, if, if if they put her on the ballot, you can't exclude her if she's right. put on the ballot because you don't think right. she's the right that's genre. Like, that's like inviting her to it. It's like giving her an evite, right? And, and then her, saying you're not invited. Her, you know, <laughs> you, you rang my bell. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I I got to be honest with you. Sister Rosetta Tharp. I don't have a clue. I don't, I don't even know who that is. I have no idea who it is, which makes me feel like I should say yes because, like, you sound like a music geek if you say, "Well, of course you should be." In. Right? Like, if this conversation were in Silver Lake right now, we'd be like, "Oh yeah, totally." Oh, you get and kicked out of the coffee how, shop. How do you not put Sister Rosetta Tharp? I have literally no idea. This who is her is. first year of. El- I'm assuming it's a her. I have. Um, is no she idea. a nun? I don't Sister know. Rosetta. I don't know who that is. Uh, as you type, uh, Link Ray, the guitarist. I love Link Ray. I don't know if he belongs in. I love you and I saw Link Ray. He's he's great. I don't. The influence is there, but I feel like there are other people sort of like Link Ray that got in for the influence. Sister Rosetta Tharp is gonna would get in for as much. I think influenced early rock and roll musicians, including Little Richard, Johnny Cash, Chuck Berry. Then Elvis sure. Presley. I mean, again, I I don't know how to answer that one. Uh, I'm I'm good with it. And then finally, the great zomb- name. Yes, it is the zombies. No, no. And th- and by the way, that gets to some of the snubs this year. Thank you. Some of the folks that did not get a nomination that have been on the ballot before that are basically a lot of these guys are stronger than just about anybody on uh, the zombies are on. In let's start with right. Soundgarden. Soundgarden should be in the Hall of Fame anyway, but right after Chris Cornell takes right. his own so, life, Soundgarden not on the list. Not- Shame. And I believe they've, I think they've been on before. Yeah, Soundgard should be in. Nine Inch Nails. Not on the list. Not on the Shame. list. Should be on the list. They, yes. they, they've been on before. Janet Jackson. This one is absurd. How's she not already you, in? That's the thing. It's like, okay, you know, we think of Janet Jackson, Jackson 5, whatever. Go back and look up the amount of number one hits. Seven. Seven. seven no, no, seven. I was going to say albums. Number oh, one seven albums. albums. Yes. She had seven number one Albums. albums. And she's not. I don't, I don't understand how she's. I assume I would always have assumed she was. Uh, the replacements who've been on the ballot and then taken off. I know this, this is this is your. Uh... This pisses me off. The replacements <laughs> absolutely should be in one of the most influential alternative bands. And they're really good. Ever. Oh, they're phenomenal. Uh, what do you feel about this? Is we're well okay. We, I almost skipped Husker Do. Uh, also, pretty but, big influence. Sure. Right around the same now, time could as you, the replacements. Could you kind of wrap in kind of Husker Du, Soundgarden, Chris Cornell into no. one big no. thing? They're not, they're not the same thing. I know they're not the same band. No, but, but no, if you I'm do saying it all, you can't. Right. The, the replacements were Soundgarden here. definitely. The replacements No, I'm, the replacements were, were from a decade earlier. I mean, the, the No, sound, I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, okay, go ahead. No, you, you can't. They're not the same thing. They I, weren't I, even the same genre. No, I, 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 I forget it. Were I inclined to uh, do some post-podcast editing, I'd edit okay. that part out. I just got briefly confused. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins. I have no problem with them getting in. Um, and I know they prob- I, I could I could go either way on them. 
I feel like there's not quite enough there there. I, I sort of feel the same way, even though I actually think they're a good band. They were good, and they were a BFD while they were right. still out there. Okay, but. here's a name, too, that got left off that's like, really? Brian Eno. The producer of right of everything of everything like the <laughs> Joshua Tree Bowie Iggy Pop like I I don't know how again another guy that I just assumed was in I assumed Brian Eno was already in yeah I don't know hold on let me find shame that's very surprising that's right. to me some of, some of this year's snubs are more deserving if, than a lot of people are going to get in if Judas Priest finds its way into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before Soundgarden. Or before the replacements. Uh, the replacements, or Brian Eno, or Nine Inch Janet Nails, Jackson, or Janet freaking Jackson with her seven number one albums. Yeah, that's insane to me. That shouldn't happen. That is absolutely insane. Get it together. Come on, Cleveland, figure it out. Um, no wonder LeBron wants to leave. <laughs> it's because <laughs> this they, is why. It's because they won't induct. Janet I find Jackson. your Rock and Roll Hall of Fame choices inadequate, and I'm going to go play in Los Angeles. Um, where they respect Brian Eno. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're not quite at the part where we could say next week real games, but next week the preseason will be more or less over and we can finish our evaluations. It goes like they play Sunday and then they play like like Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. And they have like a game on the ninth and then it's basically it. So um, very exciting. Almost at the, at the year. And we will we'll keep talking about stuff as it happens. See everybody next time.